Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samaya Keynes, the US Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bao, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. In this episode, we're going to talk about a trade fight you have probably not been paying very much attention to. It is between Japan and South Korea. Things are pretty tense. To help us understand what this is all about, we spoke with Duk-Goon Ahn. Duk-Goon is a PhD trade economist and a trained lawyer. He's a former commissioner at the Korea Trade Commission. There, he used to make decisions about Korean tariffs. And he's also one of the world's top trade legal scholars as a professor at Seoul National University. So first, a bit more detail on what exactly has been going on. On July 4th, Japan tightened export restrictions on three products that you have never heard of. Hydrogen fluoride, resist, and fluorinated polyamide. You've never heard of them, but they are in your smartphones. They're used to make things like display panels and semiconductors. South Korean companies make a lot of semiconductors and display panels. And in some cases, they are heavily reliant on these Japanese inputs. But now, if they want to get them, they've got to apply for licenses. And obviously, this is not fun for them. An official announcement on July 1st from the Japanese government gave the following pretty cryptic explanation. The Japan-Republic of Korea relationship of trust, including in the field of export control and regulation, has been significantly undermined. To understand what is going on, we need to go through a bit of history. So, the Second World War is going on, the US is fighting Japan in the Pacific, and at the time, Korea is a Japanese colony. And basically, the Japanese government forces Koreans to work for Japanese companies like Mitsubishi and Nippon Steel. It forces women into sexual slavery so that they become prostitutes for the military. A lot of forcing going on. It's, it's really not okay. And then in 1945, Japan loses the war and its rule over Korea ends. Here's Duk-Gun. After we become uh, liberated from Japan, there was an arrangement between two governments to normalize the relationship. So in 1965, we had a treaty between both countries to settle the claims about these wartime activities. And at that time, with this 1965 treaty, Japanese government agreed to pay $300 million in the current value, probably $2.4 billion or so. Plus, they also gave a low interest rate loan in an amount of $200 million. And with that kind of payment, the Japanese government thought that they settled all the claims. In fact, in that treaty, we have a provision saying that basically this arrangement will settle all the legal claims based on the wartime activities. So these countries are really not the best of buddies. It took them 20 years to re-establish relations after the Second World War and this treaty. And relations are pretty thorny after that. Though, though based on this treaty, their economies become more connected over time. I should point out, though, that although trade between them has gone up, if you look at the data, they don't seem all that connected. They do have a bilateral investment treaty, but they don't have a free trade deal though they both are members of the World Trade Organization. About 8% of South Korea's total trade is with Japan, and only about 6% of Japan's trade is with South Korea. Given that they're such close neighbors, that doesn't really seem very high. For each of them, a much bigger chunk of their trade is with China and with the United States. Now, obviously, those aggregate figures hide quite 
close connections in some industries. So in IT, the integration is much higher with, with some South Korean companies relying very heavily on, on Japanese inputs. But, but in general, big picture, they are not bosom buddies economically. And, and going back to the politics, today, the Japanese really think that these wartime issues are settled. They've been settled in this treaty. But suddenly, 2012, the Korean Supreme Court rendered a decision saying that private party may still have a claim against the Japanese companies because this 1965 treaty may not reserve private claims. So based on that decision, 2013, the appeal court in Korea actually gave the ruling for several Korean people to go after the Japanese companies for this the legal claim for the compensation based on the wartime forced labor issue. This case was sent to the Supreme Court and it took a long time, but 2018 October, the Korean Supreme Court actually confirmed that decision. Then Korean government said this is basically Supreme Court decision, so we cannot do anything. Japanese government became furious and then in fact, early last year, before this decision was confirmed by the Supreme Court, the high-ranked officer and the Japanese politicians actually warned against Korea about the potential implication of this ruling. As soon as this decision was confirmed, now the Japanese government entered into the economic retaliation against Korea. So what happened here was that some South Korean individuals said this treaty really didn't compensate us. We want reparations from these Japanese companies. And so what happened recently was that the South Korean Supreme Court ruled in their favor. Now, the cash amounts in these cases are not massive. It's only a few hundred thousand dollars from Japanese companies that are worth billions of dollars. So if you look at just the amount, it's not a very significant amount, but legal, symbolic implication of this ruling basically changed everything for bilateral national relationship. This really isn't about the money. To the Japanese, this Supreme Court ruling basically reverses the foundations of the relationship between these two countries. That's why their statement talks about trust being undermined. And so the Japanese government response was to put on these new export controls over these three products we mentioned earlier. And I'd never heard of them either. Overall, the export controls cover around $400 million worth of trade between the two countries. Not that big when you put it next to the Trump administration's trade disputes. But to some of these South Korean companies, this is a really big deal. For one of the products, 92% of South Korea's imports come from Japan. And for the other, it's about 94%. Now, it's important to say that this all sounds very alarming, but it's not actually the case that the Japanese are blocking all exports to South Korea of these products. The, the Japanese are, are really resisting the idea that this is a full-on you know, trade embargo. But it is the case that since July 4th, Japanese exporters have had to apply for licenses each time they ship to South Korea. That can take up to around 90 days. Japan is also reviewing Korea's status on, on something called the white list. So at the moment, this, this white list of countries gets blanket approval when Japan exports certain things. Japan might remove South Korea from this white list which essentially would mean that South Korea wasn't trusted anymore. 
And and Japanese exporters would have to get approval to send stuff to South Korea for, for quite a broad range of technologies. So Japan isn't imposing any blanket bans on anything. It's just adding bureaucracy and paperwork for the, for the companies. It's adding uncertainty about whether they'll get approval. And it's potentially adding delays if they drag their feet about giving approval to all these export requests. It does seem pretty obvious that this is part of this bigger diplomatic dispute. But the Japanese have been pushing the national security angle with officials telling the Japanese press that the issue is that certain South Korean exports that could be used for military purposes are somehow getting into North Korea. So Japan is saying, South Korea, you need to tighten up your export controls. And until you do, we're going to tighten up our export controls. Now, depending on how far the Japanese push this, these controls could affect big semiconductors producers like Samsung, SK Hynix, these South Korean companies. Though in the short term, it's not actually clear how this could affect their profits. So there's there's a bunch of other stuff going on as well right now. There's this US-China trade war listeners may be aware of. And so that has actually meant that there's been lower demand for chips. And so there's a lot of chips out there. And so prices have been low. This could effectively impose a supply restriction on these South Korean companies. That artificial supply restriction could mean that they could push prices up. That could actually mean that their profits rise. This is a pretty concentrated market for these semiconductors, so that is possible. But the restrictions could create problems. Samsung is the world's largest maker of memory chips. I've seen reports that some of these companies have somewhere between one and three months of inventory of these restricted items. It's not easy to replace those inputs, though the South Korean government has just allocated $250 million to help try to develop domestic sources. I will say that that reading all the reporting and all the official announcements, it's a bit confusing in terms of working out what exactly is going to be affected, what, what exactly is going to be restricted. The Japanese government officials have said that they're going to follow something called the Wassenaar Arrangement. That's this big multilateral arrangement on export controls. That agreement essentially says that they would not block civil transactions. But if the Japanese government did end up blocking those exports, then it sounds like things really could escalate. Here's Duck-gun. Now the Korean government, even the president, announced that they try to alleviate any kind of unnecessary damage to the industry. But the Korean government mentioned that if the Korean companies actually got hurt, then probably they have no other choice but to impose countermeasure. Now, before we talk about how to solve this, we should mention that there are some other sources of trade tension between these two countries right now. Very quickly on this, in 2011, there was a nasty nuclear accident in Japan and Fukushima. And in response, a bunch of countries, including South Korea, quarantined Japanese fish and agricultural products because they were worried about radioactivity. That kind of thing is allowed under the World Trade Organization's rules. But after a while, when South Korea didn't open up its market, Japan got annoyed and said that the restrictions were too strict and they'd been on for far too long. So Japan filed a formal WTO dispute, and it won. But when the South Koreans appealed, the appellate body overturned it and said the South Koreans were in the right. And when I went to Japan in May, I found out very quickly just how annoyed the Japanese are by this. Here's Duck-gun. From the Japanese side, it was 
really bad loss because they are now preparing for the Olympic Games and then they try to claim to the world that although they have some unfortunate the nuclear accident, now the situation was well controlled and it was a completely safe country. But suddenly WTO said it may not be true. So that kind of situations actually aggravate the bilateral economic relationship. Returning to the more recent problems, the question now is is how they might be resolved. We'll talk about the World Trade Organization in a minute, but but first, the most obvious way to resolve this would have actually been through that old 1965 treaty between Japan and South Korea. The Japanese government originally requested to start arbitration procedure pursuant to 1965 treaty. That treaty actually included provision about arbitration in case there is any kind of conflict related to that treaty interpretations. So the Japanese government actually repeatedly asked the Korean government to start this arbitration procedure, but the Korean government basically ignored that request. Instead of talking with the Japanese and working it out through arbitration, the South Korean government basically just let its Supreme Court decide, and that's made things really awkward between the two countries. I asked Duck-Gun whether this could have been resolved by Japanese companies taking out an investor state dispute or using ISDS and suing the South Koreans. That's a very important point. In fact, between Korea and Japan, we have bilateral investment treaties. So Japanese companies actually could have brought the ISDS uh, claims against the Korean government. It is difficult, but actually uh, we do have ISDS case based on the legal rulings. So not just government policy, but the court decision have been subject to ISDS decision. If we had that line of process, then probably the whole tension between two governments could be much more seriously alleviated. But now... When our Supreme Court rendered the decision, suddenly it becomes just government-to-government trade war. So basically, it's a bit late for that now. But as this relates to trade, it looks like it could pop up at the World Trade Organization. It, in fact, already has come up. The other day in the, in the Goods Council, where all of the members meet to talk about issues relating to trading goods, the South Koreans complained. And the Japanese were like, sorry guys, national security. The Japanese said that they were just changing the procedures for South Korea from simplified ones to the usual ones, all WTO compliant. Again, my take is that it's still just a bit uncertain about how the Japanese are going to apply these controls. If they go mega draconian and start blocking everything, then, then the South Koreans' case seems much stronger. Stepping back here and looking at the big picture on this, Duckun seemed critical of both sides. This is very, very stupid policies. So already this regional value chain has been hugely damaged by the Trump administration trade policies. And now suddenly they are causing the trouble against each other and harming the problems. This is very, very stupid situations. Hopefully these two countries sort it out between each other sooner rather than later, or at the worst, it ends up in a WTO dispute and just doesn't spiral out of control. The two sides are talking to each other, so that's good. Though, thus far, those talks don't seem to be going all that well. At the last bilateral meeting between the two, uh, South Korean media reported that their officials got a frosty reception uh, and that the meeting took place in a room that was like a garage. 
A South Korean official told journalists that the U.S. had offered to convene a high-level meeting between the U.S., Japan, and South Korea. I'm not sure how likely that is. A story in Reuters quoted an ex-ambassador from Japan to the U.S. saying, I don't think we need the United States to mediate, just like Japan would not mediate U.S.-Mexico ties or U.S.-Canada relations. On the economic side, there could also be broader trade implications to all this. In the long run, this could encourage the South Korean companies to try and develop alternative suppliers for these inputs. The South Korean government does seem to be trying to help that along, though I'm not sure how easy that would be. These inputs aren't quite like soybeans. And there's already a lot of shaking up of these Asian supply chains that's taking place because of the Trump administration's trade war with China and all of its tariffs. More uncertainty being introduced into this really isn't all that helpful. I'm slightly concerned about Japan seeming to be using these trade tools to retaliate over non-trade issues. It's all a bit Trumpy. Uh, although, you know, maybe this would have happened without Trump. You know, using national security as a defense also seems a bit Trumpy. But, you know, the world doesn't revolve around America. <laughs> Finally, this could make it less likely that South Korea will join the CPTPP, which is that trade deal between 11 countries around the Pacific Rim. I asked Duck Gun about whether this could affect things. Before we have this case, Korean government uh, was seriously considering the possibility to join CPTPP because it was very important, especially the regional value chain uh, in East Asia is really, really uh, seriously developed during the past couple of decades. In that sense, the CPTPP plays quite an important role for the Korean economies. Despite some objections by the current industry sector, especially like auto industry, the overall the benefit to join CPTPP was very important, especially to make uh, the alliance with the Japan, US, as the traditional, the strategic ally countries. Also, economically speaking, the TPP or CPTPP tried to set forth completely different the paradigm for the global trade. So the joining this order uh, was considered as a very important issue. So they seriously considering to join this, and then the issue was when and how. So how far along were they? Until the end of last year, the Korean government, to my knowledge, the Korean government was very, very serious. But from the beginning of this year, because of this Supreme Court decision, suddenly the bilateral relationship becomes unprecedentedly aggravated. So basically two governments couldn't talk to each other. So under that circumstance, Korean governments cannot raise this issue because joining the CPTPP is basically a session negotiation, not the bargaining. So because of the current scandal, I don't think in any near future, the Korean governments can actually apply for the accession to the CPTPP. We will be watching the situation carefully. And I think that is all for Trade Talks. A huge thank you to Duckgoon An, professor at Seoul National University, for helping us through the current and past frictions between Japan and South Korea. And thanks to Rob Johnson at Notre Dame University for helping us out with data on the South Korea-Japan trade relationship. Thanks to Colin Warren, who handles our audio. Also make sure to send us ideas and feedback. We love emails at email at tradetalkspodcast.com. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. 
That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to the number of our good friends in East Asia who we would like to see getting along and not fighting with one another, two is better than one.